0: Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor at Northwood, right here in North Charleston, South Carolina, and I am so thankful that you are taking the time today to listen to this message, and I do hope and pray that what you are about to hear encourages you, blesses you, helps you to understand the Word of God better, and most importantly, reminds you of how much the God of all creation loves you. I think today's message is going to be a blessing to you, so thank you for listening. And if you're in the North Charleston area, we would love to have you on our campus any Sunday morning at either 9 30 or 11 o'clock. If you're not in the North Charleston area, you can always find us on the web, northwoodbaptist.com. You can visit our YouTube page. You can visit our Facebook page. You can live stream us every Sunday morning at 9 30 or 11. We would love for you to be our guest either on campus or online. So you're welcome to join us anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you. I do hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you, and I hope that today's message helps you connect faith to life.
1: Good morning, Northwood. How are we doing today? Good. All right. Uh, My name is Cody. I work with the students here, and Pastor Tommy is out of town doing a wedding in Florida. So I get the opportunity to join you guys. Hopefully, it's not my last. Uh, Luke chapter 8 is where we're going to be this morning. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40. We're going to go all the way through the rest of the chapter. So as you're, you're turning there, um, also, if you don't have a Bible, there is one in the seat right in front of you just under that. If, if you don't have one, please take that one home. Um, Luke chapter 8 is where we're going to be. Uh, so for many of you may have known that I, I've grown up in this church. Uh, I've been here for just over 20 years. Uh, so that's, that's quite a while. Um, for the past seven years of my time here at Northwood, I have come to love the vehicle that I drive. It is a 2006 Chevy Silverado. Uh, I, I bet many of you for your first vehicle, you have some sentimental attachment, some emotional connection, if you will, to your first vehicle. This is my, my truck. Um, I, I absolutely love this truck. I've taken it to the mountains whenever I worked at Camp McCall and I've taken it to the beach. Uh, I, I've, I've had many uh, Saturdays I've spent hunting out of my truck and I've just really come to love my truck. I've spent a lot of time you know, working on it, changing the oil um, in some weird way. I have this connection. Uh, and uh, I actually took Savannah on our first date in this vehicle. So this is a really special vehicle uh, to me. And so you can imagine my, my shock when I discover an oil leak from the engine as I'm changing my oil one day. Um, I know this is not good. I don't know much about cars, just enough to do the basics. But I know that oil is not supposed to come out of the engine. So I take it to a mechanic. We get there, um, and he puts it up on the lift, and he has his flashlight out, and he's just shaking his head. And I'm just sitting there like, no, um, is, has the day come? I, I knew this day would come because if you look at my truck, there is a lot of rust on my truck. Uh, I feel like every pothole I hit, I leave two ounces of my truck behind. So it, it, is, it is certainly on its way out, but I didn't know that the day was here. Um, and so he says, man, if you want to fix all this, you're going to have to fix this, this, this. It's just not going to be worth it. And so I said, all right, fine. I need to sell it. But I need another truck. I I can't get a car. I can't even get an SUV. I've got to have another truck. I mean, after all, I'm a man, right? I I hunt, I I carry heavy things, okay? I I tow stuff. I'm a man. I've got to have a truck. So I go to CarMax.com and I type in truck and I find nothing under $26,000. And I I come to realize, no, there's no way I'm I'm getting a truck. The cars were much, much cheaper. But again, I, I need a truck. So I'm in this dilemma of like, well, what do I do I came to my senses and I realized I actually don't need a truck. Okay, yes, I'd like to have it. And for some of the things that I do, it would, it would be beneficial. But what I actually need is a vehicle that gets me from point A to point B. I actually need something I can afford. I actually need just a car. And as sad as that is to admit, I bought a car. It's a 2016 Nissan Versa. And uh, this car, why are you laughing? This car... <laughs> It fills every one of my actual needs, okay? It, it gets the job done despite the wheels being this big. It, it does the job. Um, it's all I needed, right? I found out through this whole process of losing my truck and getting this car that I'm a very needy person, okay? I have things that I think I need all the time. And, and you're probably like me. You, you are a needy person too, for some of you, if you did not push the brew button this morning, your day is over, right? Like you're not happy if you don't get your cup of coffee. Or, or if an order goes wrong in the drive-thru, you find out, man, like this is not good. Pastor Tommy is a needy person. I may get fired for saying this, but think about it, right? How many times has he got up on the stage and not mentioned Chick-fil-A? He needs his Chick-fil-A. He's got to have it. He's a needy person. And while that's funny, sure, it's serious too. There are a lot of wants in our lives that can classify themselves in our mind as needs. For, for you, maybe it's that, that job promotion. I need this job promotion, or, or maybe I need this amount of income. If I had this amount of money, I would be set. Jesus, that's what I need. Or maybe for you, it's maybe a little more seriousness. Maybe you need to be healed of what physical sickness you're going through. That's not a bad thing to want to be healed. That's not a bad thing to want a promotion. None of those things are bad. But they're not the greatest need we have. Maybe for you here today and your greatest need is that my spouse's problem would get fixed. But even that is not your real greatest need. You see, Jesus has come to meet needs that are far greater than the physical things of this world. They're far more important than, than money, than, than health, than even, than even uh, relationships with people. No, Jesus has come to meet needs like, like, like actual holiness in our life. But that's a true need we have. We need to be a people that are holy. We also need to be a people that are living on mission, that, are, that are, are passionate about knowing God and making him known. That's a need we have in your life. A need is something like being hurt so bad and then showing forgiveness for the sake of the gospel. That's a need you may have in your life today. You see, there are a lot of actual needs that Jesus wants to meet even today. And Jesus has the power to meet them. But oftentimes we get distracted by needs that aren't true needs. They, they're actually just wants. And so this passage we're going to look at today, we're going to be reminded of how Jesus not only meets our needs, but he meets them when he wants to meet them. And I think for anyone going through a storm or maybe in the future, as you put this one in your library and think about it later, when you do come across a storm, these will be helpful reminders for us. So go ahead, if you will, stand if you're able. Luke chapter 8, we're going to read verses 40 through 56. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. For they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of a synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on the physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him. And how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called saying, child arise and her spirit returned. And she got up at once and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Will you pray with me? Lord, we come to you today with, sadly, a lot of needs that probably are selfish. Lord, there are a lot of things in our life that that we want, things that we may think we need, yet here you are, the author of life, creator and sustainer, able to give us everything we need. May we come to you, to give us what we need. May we leave this room today walking in obedience to you, completely restored, looking forward to what you're going to do in our lives. May we walk out of here with a peace that that is not able to be shaken by any storm of life that comes our way. May we rely on you. May we be completely dependent on you. These are our greatest needs. Open our eyes and show them to us so that we may be your faithful people. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you may be seated. We're going through the, the gospel of Luke and, and we're in Luke chapter eight. And if you, you remember from a couple of weeks ago and even last week, we've been really recognizing some repetition that Luke's been using in his gospel. A lot of it, it has to do with the power of God. Jesus, he, he displays his power as he speaks and the storm stops. Jesus also displays his power as he speaks and the demons come out of the possessed man from last week. And here we are, we're going to see the power of Jesus highlighted here. But, but the power is to do something specific. And, and what that specific thing that Jesus has been doing over these past few weeks and will do today is he is bringing people you wouldn't think that would be a part of the, of the family of God. He's bringing those people into the family of God. And what we're learning is that the kingdom of God, it doesn't just look like wealthy people. It doesn't just look like clean people. No, it looks like poor people. It looks like broken people. It, it's, it's, it's for everybody. The kingdom of God is not closed off to anyone except for the person who won't come to Jesus. And so here we are, Jesus is showing us more and more about what it looks like to know him and to come to him, what, what his kingdom looks like, what his family looks like. And so that's where we pick up today. We pick up in verse 40, Jesus is returning. Okay, now what is Jesus returning from? Well, he's just gone over the lake and he's, he's healed the person who was possessed with a demon. So he's cast out the demon and he comes back and, and the crowd is there, right? They've, they've heard about him resurrecting the, the, the guy from Nain and they've, they've heard that he's healed people who are broken. He's been doing some work and, and the people are ready for a miracle, They're wondering, what other miracle is Jesus going to do? And so you would probably be in this crowd too. I I know I would. I'd want to see the guy who's raising people from the dead and who's healing people left and right. Maybe maybe myself, maybe I'll get healed. Um, And so the crowds are really excited to see what Jesus is going to do for them next. And they're there. They're about to watch what's, again, another miracle that's about to happen. And so they're waiting for him. Verse 41, then we get introduced to a man named Jairus. And Luke tells us that Jairus was the ruler of a synagogue. Now, we we don't get much detail about exactly what Jairus did, but we do know that he was among the religious leaders of this day and age. You've heard of the Pharisees, right? The the religious teachers of the law. You've also heard of of the scribes, uh, the people who would have also been in that religious leadership category of people, people who are are clean, who are probably well off. They're the highest in society. Um, These are the religious leaders. And also about the religious leaders, they don't like Jesus too much, do they? They don't like Jesus for, for a couple reasons. The, the biggest one is that he's claiming to be God, right? He's, he's also touching people who are unclean and, and saying that they're clean. They end up being clean, but, but they don't know how that happens. But he's claiming to be God. And so these religious leaders, even as early as Luke chapter 8, are already setting themselves up against Jesus. Many even calling him a, a blaspheming heretic, someone who's speaking lies about God as he's claiming to be God, but, but Jesus knows this is gonna happen. And so it's kind of unexpected when one of their own, Jairus, the ruler of a synagogue, comes to Jesus and not only just comes to Jesus in a way that's not hateful, but look what he says. Look what Luke says. Luke says in the end of verse 41, he falls at Jesus' feet and implores him to come to his house. Jairus has heard that Jesus has healed people. He's heard that he's brought people from the dead back to life. And maybe, just maybe, his daughter, who is sick and dying, can receive healing from Jesus. He goes in the front of this crowd and he he bows down at Jesus' feet. All people would have seen this is Jairus. This is one of the religious elite. This is one of the, the rulers of the synagogue. Jairus is bowing down at Jesus' feet, but Jairus is desperate. He would do anything for his daughter, and you would too. In this situation, you would do anything to save your twelve-year-old girl. And so he does. He bows down. He asks Jesus with what little faith he has to please heal my daughter. And Jesus agrees. And they're on the way. Verse forty. Jesus or verse uh, forty-three. The, Jesus went. The people pressed in around him, and then there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. They're on the way to Jairus' house. The, The rescue mission is a go. And then all of a sudden, there's an interruption. Imagine being Jairus here wait a minute, Jesus, I know we don't have time for her. Let's keep moving on. I, I, she's, I know she's got some problems, but, but come on, I, I asked you first. I'm also, you know, I'm also clean. I'm also ceremonially clean and I have more wealth than she does. And I don't know if Jairus is saying that or thinking that, but what we do know is this is an interruption and it's a precisely timed interruption on Jesus' part. So what happens, this woman who is, who is unlike Jairus in every way, I mean, think about it. This woman, she is ceremonially unclean because of, of her condition, of her disease. We've, we've met a lot of people who have disease in, in Luke's gospel so far, and they're ceremonially unclean. And so they're, they're apart from everybody. In fact, if you were this woman, you would not even be able to be in a room like this with people. You weren't allowed to be close with anybody. So, she, so she's, she's apart from, from her community. She's not allowed to go in the temple to worship God and, and, to, and to be in his presence there. She is cut off and she has been cut off for 12 years. That's a long, long time. And and that's all on top of physical pain, of, of what her sickness and her illness has caused her to feel. Could you imagine being her? As broken and as hopeless as she must have been, she too, like Jairus, heard of a miracle working Jesus. And she says, I'm gonna go try. I'm gonna see if this Jesus can heal me too. So she makes her way, and Luke tells us, uh, if we look down here, uh, verse 44, she came up behind him, Jesus, in the midst of this crowd, knowing she shouldn't be in the crowd, she's going to infect everybody else. She's going to make them unclean too. She comes to Jesus, she touches the fringe of his garment. And then Luke tells us that immediately, her discharge of blood ceased. Immediately, her illness was cured. She was clean, healthy. And then what we get next is also interesting. Jesus says, who was it that touched me? You see, if if Jesus, if all he came to do was physically heal this woman, he would not have turned around and did what he's about to do. He would have kept moving. But he's come to do more than just physically heal this woman. That need, yes, it's going to be met, but he's going to meet other needs she didn't even know she had. So Jesus turns around because he's got a plan. He says, who touched me? Jesus, of course, knows who touched him, but he's doing more. When all denied it, look down at uh, verse 45, Peter said, master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in. it. Come on, Jesus. Like there's a lot of people here. I'm sure a lot of us have touched you. Uh, but Jesus says, no, 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 someone touched me because I can tell that power has gone out from me. That's not to say that, that Jesus' power is kind of like a, it's like a able to be used up, kind of like a consumable commodity. It's, it's not like that. Um, but it, it is to say that Jesus recognizes when his power interacts with somebody and changes their life. So that's exactly what has happened here. She has been cleaned. And Luke is highlighting the power that has been used here. Verse 47, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she couldn't take it anymore. She could tell that Jesus was on to her she decides to speak and she trembles and she falls down before him and declared in the presence of all the people and in front of everybody in the open, she tells people the sickness that she's been battling with for 12 years. And I can't help but to think that some people in this crowd, they knew her. They knew this woman who was sick. They knew she wasn't supposed to be in this circle. Maybe even some gasps at this point that this woman would even come near us like this and risk making us unclean. How in the world could she do this? But then she talks about how she's been healed. She's been radically healed by this Jesus. Look down at verse 48. And Jesus responds with one sentence, the most powerful sentence in her life. He starts with daughter. Daughter meaning that Jesus is intentionally showing that he has brought her into his family. She was far off. She was outside of a community. She was hopeless. But now the king himself has called her daughter. He says, your faith has made you well. So he's confirming that she's physically healthy, but she's also given peace. As Jesus says, go in peace. Peace. You see, the reality is, is, is we think we know what we need sometimes, but Jesus not only knows how we need, he knows how to give us what we need. This woman, like Jesus clearly knew, was not here for simply the appointment of fixing her physical health. Of course, no other, no other physicians could do that, but Jesus had so much more. Jesus had complete restoration on the mind. As he turns around, he calls this woman daughter. She is publicly recognized as part of the family of God, as healed, as cleansed, as back into a community. Now she can go back um, to to living with her family. Now she can go back to the temple. She knows God. She's a recipient of his restoration. So a couple things for us. What are some things we need? Well, one, we need, or you need, a desperate dependency on God, willing to, like this woman, come out, and say, "I need you." Fall at his feet. How well do you think you are desperately, or how well are you doing at being desperately dependent on God? Maybe some of you in this room, graduating high school seniors, you're about to step into a world where you're, you're stepping into adulthood, and you have a lot of decisions to make soon. The greatest need you have on these days moving forward is that you are desperately dependent on God. For every decision, for every step of your life, if you are desperately dependent on God, you will never lack anything. And high school seniors, right? Uh, other high school students, middle school students, younger kids, where are you gonna learn that from? Well, you're gonna learn about that desperate dependency from your parents. Or you're gonna learn about the lack of that desperate dependency from your parents. See, parents, we, we, you have the opportunity to, to raise up students so that, or kids so that they know what desperate dependency looks like. And so where are you at with that? Would you, would you say your day-to-day life is filled with being dependent on God for even the very basic of life? You express that lifestyle, your kids will want to follow that. And there is nothing great. It doesn't matter if, if they graduate high school with a Division I scholarship to play baseball. It doesn't matter if they graduate as, as the top of their class and they go on to Harvard or Yale. None of that matters if they lack dependency on God. So we have a serious calling to disciple our children. And the greatest need that we have, and they do, is to be desperately dependent on God. But also, we need a faithful family of believers, so a couple weeks ago, I went up to Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. That's where I'm studying. I'm getting my Master's of Divinity, and it's in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Uh, and on the way back, we, we had to drive through Florence, and and Florence is known for nothing other than Bucky's now. Okay, that's it. Right? Bucky's is it. Um, and some of you, you may have heard of Bucky's, because some of you in the church, you have T-shirts that have the rat on your chest. Um, you have hoodies, you have cups, you have all these things. And about a year ago, I started like, like, what? Why am I seeing a rat on people's shirts? Why? Why are people going crazy about Bucky's? Some of you even go to the extent where you're willing to drive to Florence, an hour and a half away, just to get peanuts that have Bucky's face on there. I don't know what the rave is about Bucky's, but everybody, it seems. Loves Bucky's. To me, it's just like gas station and Ollie's bargain bin came together, and it's just this weird <laughs> Cracker Barrel type vibe. And so that, that's what it seems like Bucky's is to me. There's hundreds of gas station pumps, it's just weird. So we went there and we walked in there, and, and I'm looking around, and everybody's in their travel clothes, and everybody's like crazy. It's, it's just a crazy, interesting vibe. It's like Black Friday Walmart and travelers mixed together. But I noticed everybody's happy. Everybody (laughs) loves everyone. Guy over here with his Clemson hat and the guy over here with his Carolina hat, they're hugging each other because they're Bucky's family. They're here at Bucky's. They made the pilgrimage. This person over here voted for this guy. This one voted for this guy, but they're at Bucky's. Nothing can go wrong. They are family. And you've talked to some of these people who are Bucky's fans. They love Bucky's Bucky's. It's like a cult. Uh, they just absolutely love it. They're in this family uh, that is the Bucky's family. And while that's silly and all, I think for us, how much more should we be a faithful family toward one another with our differences set aside? And I think for this woman, she would have done anything in her life to be back in a community. Distant from people for 12 years, she would have done anything to be back with a faithful family of believers. And here we are, we get this every single Sunday. And more, We could be with each other every day. And I know that might might not be as as logistically possible, but still the idea should be the same, that we should be faithfully dependent on God together. This is not an individual walk with Christ that we're on. This is a community thing. There's a reason Paul says that we are the body of Christ. The body can't be separate from one another. We must be unified together. And so I just want to ask you, if, if you lost the time here on Sunday morning, Okay, yes, the worship and the preaching and everything, but just seeing people. If you lost the people you see on here, in this room on Sunday mornings, would your life change much? Would your friends come or go or would they stay the same? Would your closest people in your life, would they also be following Jesus with you or would they not be? That's a a weird analogy, but, but how many of you, like when's the last time you confessed sin to someone else in this room? When's the last time you 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 prayed for someone in person? When's the last time you met with a group of believers? For some of you, it was just an hour ago because you go to a life connection group. That's a great way to get connected. I'm in a life connection group with my people, and and that's a great way. I can come every single week and I can spend time doing life with people, encouraging one another, um, diving into scripture together, being encouraged, confessing sin, and 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 being restored. Maybe that's missing for you today. If it is, if you don't have a community, if you've never been discipled, if if you don't have a a way to meet with believers, if you don't have real relationships with believers, I want to encourage you to stop at the tent on your way out. We have people that are in our church that all they do, that they love connecting people uh, to our church in some way, shape, or form. And so if that's your next step today, I want to encourage you to take it like this woman finally gets to do this, gets to be in a community. Here you guys are. We get to do this every single day. Let's take seriously the call to be a faithful family of believers. And then finally, you need a peace that is unshakable. This woman did not know what peace was like before Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Some of you in this room, you don't know what that's like. You don't know what the peace of God's like. I wanna encourage you today to receive the peace of God. You get the opportunity to, because of the work of Jesus, because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. For any of you who've never experienced the peace of God, you get to do that today. I'll give you a time to do that in, in a minute. But believers in this room, Maybe you're going through a storm right now. I don't know if it's a physical sickness. I don't know if it's, if it's financial troubles. I don't know if it's marriage, whatever it is. You're going through a physical storm, but you're a believer. You've been restored by Jesus. And the things Jesus says to this woman are true of you. Go in peace. I want to remind you of the peace that you have and knowing Christ. I love what Paul says Is he's in prison. In Philippians chapter four, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then he says this, may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Some of you, your heart and your mind is not guarded by the peace of God. Re-up that today. I want you to, to remember the peace that you have, that's able to walk through any storm of life, no matter how dark it is, without blinking. Some of you in this room, you've done that and you are incredible models to me personally and to those of us around in this room. Walk through the trials of life with peace. Well, let's continue on. Let's, let's pick up our story. Uh, Luke chapter 8 verse 49. This entire time has, has been an interruption for Jairus. Remember, Jairus is on a time schedule here. He needs what he needs when he needs it. And Jesus has stopped for this unclean woman to to fix this physical illness. You know, Jairus maybe even thought, this woman's not going to die. Like, sure, it's uncomfortable. Sure, it's unfortunate for her. But, But my daughter's dying actively right now. Jesus, we've got to go. But before Jesus can even finish talking to the woman, it seems like all hope is already lost. Someone from Jairus' house, verse 49, comes and tells everybody, he says, your daughter is dead. Well, he's talking to Jairus, but everyone hears this. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Imagine how Jairus must have felt. Imagine how you would feel. Someone else redeemed, someone else healed, someone else restored while your daughter perishes. But again, Jesus knows exactly what we need. And you know who Jesus is. He's more than, more than capable of fixing this problem. And in fact, maybe this interruption is not so much as an interruption to Jesus. This may be the very way by which he's going to show Jairus the power of God. Look down at verse 50. Jesus heard this and he says, do not fear. Again, a lot of people in Luke chapter eight have been fearing, haven't they? But Jesus says, do not fear. Only believe, like the woman, have faith. Only believe and she will be well. Verse 51, they finally make it to the house. They get there and Jesus says, hey, no one else come in. Let, let it just be a, a moment where Peter, James, and John are here and then uh, the Jairus and his wife are here because he wants to do an intimate miracle. And, and everybody's weeping. I, I mean, I can imagine, right? There's, there's a, a dead girl laying on the table, the bed, maybe even cold to the touch. And for anyone else to say those words, don't weep, would have been radically insensitive. But Jesus says it because he's the only one who can say those words and do what he's about to do. He says, don't weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they laugh at him knowing that she was dead. Kind of like a hysterical laughter, I can imagine. Or maybe one even filled with anger that you would even insult me in my own house in in this moment. But regardless, verse 54, Jesus takes her by the hand as he says, child arise. One of the stories you've probably heard forever. This little girl gets up. She was dead. While Jesus says she's only sleeping, to, to her Jesus was sleeping, everyone else she was dead. Power of God brings this little girl back to life. She is resurrected. and everyone is amazed. Verse 56, her parents were amazed. I'm sure the, the disciples in the corner are amazed. They've seen this happen before. That They're catching on, the trend here, that, that death can't even touch Jesus. Jesus has resurrected this young woman. And, and I, I, I just can't imagine how this story would have went had Jesus just snapped his fingers and healed both of these people. Because think about this. Yes, that woman would have been restored, Yes, Jairus' daughter would have been healed the second Jairus asked for it. But Jesus, like we said earlier, was here way more, or for way more than just to heal physically. He was here to completely restore. So a couple a couple reminder. well, the reminder is, Jesus knows how to give you what you need, but he also knows when to give it to you. He knows what you need when you need it. Jairus did not need to have his daughter healed at that moment. It was actually better in Jairus' case, in this case, for his daughter to die so that Jesus could not only give Jairus faith and show him who he really was, but so that Jairus could see perhaps one of the greatest miracles ever recorded. It was better for him. How can this be? Well, Waiting on Jesus has really good effects for us. And there's reasons why, why Jesus makes us wait on him because he's never early and he's never late. Jesus is always on time for your needs when you need them met. That is a truth that we've got to believe. So a couple things real quick. Waiting on Jesus grows you. Waiting on Jesus grows you. You may be in a marriage right now where you're struggling. You feel like you have to continuously extend mercy continuously extend patience. You ever thought that maybe the reason why you're going through this storm is so that you can understand more how to imitate Christ? Because how many times has he extended grace to you? How many times has he extended mercy to you? How many times has he been patient with me? So perhaps those people who, who've hurt you most in life, maybe, maybe the very reason why God's allowed this to happen and why he hasn't come in and saved the day is so that he can teach you how to imitate him. But also think about this, waiting on Jesus reveals your heart. What, what way is your heart oriented at work? Some of you, you go to a job and whatever your job is, how well can you say you are focused on loving God and making him known? On a scale of one to 10, where are you at? Go ahead, put yourself on on, on the scale there. What about at home with your family? On a scale of one to 10, where are you at with loving God and making him known? We see where we're examining our heart because oftentimes in these storms of life, the reason why we're going through them is so that Jesus can show us something about us. He can show us where we lack faith. He can show us where we lack obedience. He can show us where our heart is not oriented to the right things. And this is an opportunity for us to orient them in the right ways, toward the right things. What about when you're hanging out with your friends, students? What about when you're hanging out with with, with your buddies or you're doing a hobby or whatever? Even there, where is your heart oriented? Is it oriented to knowing God and making him known? Or is it not? If you answer anything less than a 10, which is all of us in this room, including me, then we've got some work to do. Even in the trials, even in the storms, We need to focus on what we need. We need to focus on knowing God, making him known, pursuing personal holiness, all of that. Also, waiting on Jesus demonstrates his power. How many stories do you know? I bet a lot of people could come up here and talk about ways that God has done above and beyond what we've asked him to do in our lives. Regardless, all of us who are Christians in this room, we just point to the cross because it was actually at the cross where the epitome of darkness looked like it had won. The death of a perfect man, God himself. It is there, specifically in the worst storm the world has ever seen, that we see the greatest demonstration of God's power. So why would it be any different in our lives? Think about you, the struggle you're going through now. It could be that the struggle that you're in this second. You're there so that God can demonstrate his power. I mean, I, I personally have been impacted by people who've, who've come down with an illness, uh, even people in this church who, who get sick, even terminally sick, diagnosed with whatever. And as they're in the hospital, knowing their days are numbered, they have the biggest smile on their face. You, you guys know these people. Talk about the power of God. Talk about the peace of God that allows you to walk through any trial, any storm without even blinking. That's what God's interested in. And so while you may not be diagnosed with with an illness that has numbered your days at the moment, we are all with days numbered. So I wanna encourage us, put your eyes on him. Walk forward in obedience with him. See, the reality is we're all waiting on Jesus. Jesus. All of us in this room, whether we absolutely reject him, maybe we don't even believe he's real. Or or over here, we're people that are trying to love him every single day. All of us in this room are waiting on Jesus, aren't we? The difference between the Christian in this room and the person who's not is that for the Christian, we look forward and we wait for Jesus with hope. Because there's going to be a day for everyone in this room where we're going to see him whether he comes before we die or whether we die and we stand before him. And for the Christian, we look forward with hope. I look forward knowing that there is nothing in life, not even death itself that can touch what I have because I'm tied to Christ. Because of the life, death and resurrection and the the beautiful demonstration of his power in the darkest moment of mankind at the cross of Jesus Christ, because of that event and the resurrection afterward, I now can walk in newness of life, Christians, the room you can too. So I wanna encourage you. Like Jairus, like, like the, uh, the, the woman here with the illness, are you focusing on what he wants to give you with your needs? Or have you let your physical things of this world, the, the, the material stuff, get in the way of that? Where do we need to realign our heart with God's? What is he convicting you of? What's he calling you to confess to someone today? What ways is he challenging you toward holiness? And remember, all of this, we can take steps of obedience in because we look forward with hope. But for the person who has rejected God, can't look forward in hope today. Because when you look forward, you will see that there will be a day where you've chosen to pay for your sin on your own accord. For for the person who has rejected God, Who's rejected Jesus and they themselves have sat on the throne. They have put the crown on their head and they've said, it's my way. I'm going to do what I want. I'm not going to listen to what God has to say. I'm not even going to choose to believe in him. Wherever you sit in this room, I want you to understand if that is the approach you have to life, then there will be a day when you still will meet Jesus, but you won't meet him with hope. You'll meet him with fear. Because you've said, I will pay for my sin myself. And the cost is greater than you can bear. It's an eternity apart from him. But the good news of the the gospel is this. Jesus offers right now for you to have life and for you to have life abundantly. You can know him. You can have a peace that surpasses understanding. If you would just repent of your sin and trust him, there are people that will be at the crosses today in the corners of this room. I'll be down here in front. I would love to talk to you about what it means to, to res, repent of your sin and respond to Jesus with faith. He wants you to come. He wishes that no one would perish, but all would have life and life abundantly. He doesn't just want to solve your material problems. He wants to restore you completely. And he more than has the power to do that. The story shows us that. So whatever ways you need to respond today, As I pray, I wanna encourage you, take some time, respond, take the next steps you feel the Lord is calling you to take today. Let's pray. Lord, this passage of scripture that we looked at this morning is a powerful passage of scripture. No doubt, we've probably heard it multiple times. And we see your grace we see your patience, we see your mercy as you have come down to meet our needs. Lord, I pray we would focus on the needs you want us to, to, to pursue. I, focus, uh, I pray that you would help us to focus on the things that we ought to pursue, not, not necessarily the physical things, not the, the worldly stuff. Lord, but I pray that we would focus on knowing you and making you known. Oftentimes we we feel like we have to have what we need to have when we need it. But Lord, the reality is you are more than capable of giving us exactly what we need when we need it. And so as we're still here in this life, going through the storms we're going through, may we have faith when we don't know the answers. And may we trust, as we see in this passage, you have clearly articulated to us that you are in control and you're doing exactly what you want to do. Lord, I pray that, that our, our life would be, would be filled with obedience yes. as we trust you in the storms and the darkness of life and the trials and the ups and the downs. May we be faithful knowing that you give us what we need when we need it.